We are glad to make all of our Jcast Network podcasts free for our listeners. However, they are not free to produce and host. Please consider making a donation to Jcast Network to help support our work by visiting jcastnetwork.org slash donate. Thanks for your support. You are listening to Sermons with Rabbi David Seth Kirchner, a Jcast Network podcast. For more information about other Jcast Network podcasts and blogs, please visit jcastnetwork.org. I'm going to introduce you to a relatively new term. Maybe some of you have heard of it, some of you have it. It's called an earworm. Anyone here know what an earworm is? So, and For those of you who know, I'll, I apologize. For those of you who don't know, it's when a song gets caught in your head and it's playing in your ear over and over. You know when you can't get that song out of your head? That's referred to as an earworm. And I have a pretty random earworm in my ear, in my head, for about the last week and a half. And it's a song by The Who, and the song is, Who Are You? Right? You know that song? Who are you? Good. We have some energy here on the Shalom size. That's good. Now, I don't want to hyperanalyze the song because if you look at the lyrics, they don't make a whole lot of sense. It's about a guy who gets inebriated and can't find his way home. But he starts to address this question that has been a, uh, a serious question for me over the last few years, and I think it comes to a, a head in this week's parasha, and that is the question of who are we? Who are we individually, and who are we collectively? And in the mysterious actions of God, one of my good friends from childhood has had a, uh, a watershed moment in her life that she has shared that, with her permission, I'm going to share some parts with you. When I was a young boy, I grew up outside of Tampa in a small city called Seminole, Florida. And my very best friend from the age of third grade, fourth grade, fifth grade, and sixth grade was a young man named Damian Weber. And he was a twin. His sister's name is Diana, and they lived just down the block from me. And there wasn't a free time in my life, not a free afternoon, a free weekend, a summer, where we didn't spend all of our waking moments together. Our parents, respectively, would make us grilled cheese sandwiches for lunch on a Sunday. We would run around the neighborhood on our bicycles, playing every game you could consider, talking about all things that would come to mind. Now, in the case of Damien and Diana, they were middle children, they have an older sister, and they have a younger sister. The difference is, is that their parents bore the older and younger sister, and Damien and Diana were adopted, twins who were adopted. Well, through this Ancestry.com, 23andMe, the DNA component, Diana was able to just find out this week who her birth mother is, and where she lives. And it turns out that her birth mother lives about a mile and a half away from her childhood home where she grew up. And going through her head over the last week has been, oh my goodness, did I run into this woman in the grocery store? Was I standing behind her in line getting gasoline? Is this someone I already know? Is this someone who I've seen on a regular basis and never knew that it was my birth mother? Now, at the very same time, Diana has to navigate the very tricky waters of honoring and respecting and loving her parents, who I remember as a child and until this day being the most 
wonderful and thoughtful and caring human beings you could ever imagine. They didn't adopt children because they were infertile. They adopted children because they could make a difference in the world. It was their faith that led them in this choice. And they are great people. And they want to be sensitive, Diana does, to who her parents, as she sees them, are. But at the same time, she's curious to know this part of her history that has not been known to her and to really delicately walk down this road and figuring out who she is. What is the nurture and what is the nature? This is a very anxious and exciting time for Diana. And in a strange way, I feel some of that energy with her about that anxiety, about that worry, about that excitement, and about this process of uncovering a huge chapter of her life right now for the first time. For those of you who never read the book or never saw the movie Lion, I encourage you after Shabbat, cancel your plans on a day like today and rent this movie. Because the movie is very similar to the story of Diana's life. It's the story of a young boy who gets separated from his brother and sadly, he gets put, I won't steal all of its thunder, but gets put into an orphanage and then later is adopted and then questions his history and roots all because of one word that stokes his memory from his childhood when he was four years old and that puts him on a trajectory of a journey to unpack where he's from, what he's about, and uncovering a part of that history. And this story is about the blending of his identity, the identity of that which he was born into and the identity of that which he was raised into and understanding who he is and what it is that he's about. I share all of this with you on this Shabbat for two reasons in particular. One is I think that there is a character in the Bible that has this same challenge, and that's Moses. Moses was born to Jewish parents but put in the Nile as an infant and picked up and raised by an Egyptian woman, Bat Paro, the daughter of Pharaoh. And Moses must have some form of an identity crisis. And if you don't believe me, just take a look at the text because it's Moses who sees that there is an Israelite slave who is being beaten by an Egyptian. And what does Moses do? He goes and defends the Israelite. And in doing so, he kills the Egyptian and covers his body. And he's very fearful. The next day, he sees a group of Israelites and he thinks that he's going to be embraced by them and welcomed by them, saying, you too are an Israelite. You are a different color. You look different. You're one of us. And what did the Israelites say to him? What are you going to do, Moses? You're going to kill us next? Meaning, he wasn't accepted as an Egyptian and he wasn't accepted as an Israelite. And he was absolutely lost. He didn't know what group he was a part of. And it was in that moment of hiding where he feared for his life that he came across the bush that was not consumed. And God served as his compass and said, you, you will be the one who's deputized to lead the Israelite people out of Egypt. So Moses has to wear this dual identity in front of Paro, who serves as his grandfather of sorts and saying, let my people go. Is he saying it as a partial Egyptian? Is he saying it as an Israelite? Is he saying it as someone who has no identity and no stripe 
and which to hold on to. I think it's not a coincidence that we're introduced to Moshe at the beginning of the book of Exodus. The first parsha in Exodus and Shemot is our introduction to Moshe. The entire book of Genesis is what you and I would call in the film world character development. We're introduced to Adam and to Eve. We're introduced to Cain and to Abel. We're introduced to Noah and his sons and all of the animals. We are introduced to Abraham and Sarah, Lot. We are introduced to Isaac and Ishmael, to Rebekah, to Jacob and Esau, to Joseph and Benjamin and all of the other brothers and Dina the sister. We are introduced to their evolution of who they are and what they're about and how it is that they become an individual. And then we transition in Shemot from becoming the individual to becoming part of a people. From the character of what we are as a religion to the character of what we are as a nation. And the question then becomes, well, who are we? How do we divide which part of us is the individual and how do we divide which part of us is the nation? How do we divide which part is what we receive from our DNA when we start to separate the strands? And I'm not talking about hair color and eye color, but personalities and reflexes and tempers and backgrounds and medical histories. And that which is a re result of the DNA that isn't given biologically, but is part of the environment and surroundings of which we are raised, where we live. Now I'm sure there are many of you in this room who have no doubt on who your birth parents are. You might say this question has no relevance to me, Rabbi, because I know who my mother is and I know who my father is, I know exactly who I look like and I know who I behave like. Okay, so maybe we solve the riddle of nature versus nurture and your absolute biology of who you are as an individual. But what about who you are as a person? When it comes to us as Jews, or our nation of Israel for that matter, how do we decode what we are and who we are about? Are we particularistic or are we universalists? Do we believe in the individual component or do we believe in the entirety of all? The answer to that question in my estimation is simple. The answer is yes. We are part of both. We believe in the universal and we believe in the particularistic, and it is those places where we are trying to decode our identity and our historical DNA where it gets so challenging and so tricky for us. I want to share a very brief story that I uh, had the privilege of hearing from Professor Giltroy, someone who's coming to our synagogue on the 3rd of March as our scholar in residence. He's a professor at McGill. University. He's a presidential historian and just a brilliant, brilliant Zionist and man, a leader in the Young Judea movement as well. And last Friday night in the old city, Gil told this fantastic story to a group of APAC participants on a trip to Israel, which I was blessed to be on. He said, you know, this whole notion of John Lennon's song, Imagine, is really problematic for me. Imagine there's no heaven. Imagine there's no war. That means there's nothing of which we connect to. There's no relativism. There's nothing worth fighting for. And I have a problem with that. 
And Gil went on to give this analogy that has sat in my frontal lobe since the moment he gave it for just over a week now. He said, imagine, and I'm just gonna use a random example, that a young man and a young woman fall in love. They've been dating each other for three years and they very much wanna be with each other and they express their love for each other. And the young man decides that he's going to propose to this young woman after dating for three years. So he buys a ring, he gets down on one knee, and he says to this woman, I love you. I love you so much. I love you as much as I love every woman in this synagogue right now. I love you as I, much as I love every woman in Bergen County. And I want you to know I love you as much as I love every woman in the world. Well, I don't know about you, but I would imagine that that almost affianced woman would not feel so special in that level of proposal. Because when it comes to that notion of love, we're not universalists. We're not universalists at all, we are particularists. And what most of us would say when we have become smitten with another is, I love you. I love you more than any person in this room. I love you more than any person in this county. I love you more than any person in this world. That is the particular nature of who we are. And for those of us who know our birth parents and our gene genealogy and our DNA, this question of who we are still comes to a front in one of many examples, but the one I'll use this Shabbat is about our connectivity to the land of Israel, a place where we have universalist values and particularist values at the same time. We are particularist when we say, we love you, Israel, more than any other of the 192 other nations in the family of nations at the UN. We love you because of our historicity to the land, our connectivity to it, our connection dating all the way back to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Sarah, Rebecca, Rachel, and Leah. We loved you because of our modern history of the time of Golda and Ben-Gurion and Jabotinsky. That's particularistic. But at the exact same time, there is a universalist side of us as well. Because part of the DNA of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Sarah, Rebecca, Rachel, and Leah Part of the DNA of Golda and Ben-Gurion and Jabotinsky was a DNA that had love and understanding and support for all peoples and all places. It was that DNA that fought and advocated so that we marched in Washington and around the world and said Shalach Ami in the 80s and 70s so that people today could celebrate their first B'nai Mitzvah in 100 years in their family and great-grandmothers could witness it. That's universalist, not particularist. It is us that sent airplanes to land on sand dunes in the middle of the Sudan to pick up thousands upon thousands of Ethiopians, the majority of which were Jewish, many of which were not, but they were hungry and needed shelter. And the universalist side of our people says, pick them up, bring them to a place where they can call home, feed them in their bellies and in their souls. And that is our universalist side. And today, when we see a crisis happening in Gaza, we are caught in the middle of a most befuddling conundrum. A conundrum where, where I stood on the Gaza border last Monday in total peace and quiet, 
The following day at Tuesday, the exact same time I stood there, the same room in which I stood was hit by a mortar from Gaza. The exact room in which I stood 24 hours later. And then at the same time, there are people on the other side of that wall that we know who are hungry, who are thirsty, who are poor, who are absolutely hopeless. And we are caught in the middle of defining who we are as particularistic or universalists. And it makes us unpeel and unpack our identity in a way that becomes more challenging every day. Because anyone who says we are one and not the other, I say, I think you're wrong. I think you're wrong because that's not the way we were shaped as a people and not the way that we identify. My friend Diana, I pray to God she lives to 120 years old. And when she does, and books are written about her one day, her children and grandchildren will sit by her bedside and they'll say, this is what defined Diana. A part of her DNA of which she was born to and a part of her DNA in which she was nourished and nurtured by. A part in which were environments and a part in which was biology. But they all made the blend of what is this beautiful and special and spiritual human being who lives in Florida. The exact same thing could be said of Moses. Moses was a Jew raised by an Egyptian who had no place to call his home. And we could trace parts of his lineage through DNA strands, and we could trace parts of his lineage through who he was raised by and what he valued, or the moments in life that helped shape him, mainly the moments of where he wasn't included by any of the groups of which he wanted to be. But in doing so, that indirection calibrated the compass that God put him on to lead the Israelites out of Egypt. Are all of us any different? If we know who our birth parents are or if we don't, the environments in which we live in, the circumstances of our lives, the things that happen to us that we control or that happen on a random Thursday afternoon are the things that shape us and what we believe in. And as Jews indeed in love with the land, we are ultimately particularistic to that land and to that love like we would be to someone we want to share our lives with. And at the very same time, part of who we are as an individual that can find that need to come down on and ask for our love is someone who believes in the greater good of all, who finds pain in their heart and in their soul when those are hurting or hungry or cold or challenged. And this leads to the unpacking of what it is to be a people. And that's why Parsha Shemot begins. Parsha Shemot begins with this unpacking of the Jewish identity, individually, communally, particularistic, universalistic, and the idea of focusing on a character and then focusing on the building of a nation and a people. All of us have these different strands that make up who we are, wherever our backgrounds are. Let us find ways to appreciate our nature and our nurture to appreciate the universalist side of our life and the particularistic side of our lives, and to appreciate that which always isn't such a straight line, but adds to the complexity and at the same time the beauty of who we are as people, who we are as a religion, 
who we are as a country and what it is that we aspire to be. If we do, then perhaps we can have the same merit as those who were lost but found their way, like Moses, in determining who it is that we are. We should ask that question, who are you?